Last night, I finished with a prayer that my mum was sent on International <coughs> Women's Day, in which I referred to those women who had clutched their pearls over us. I thank my mum for doing that from the minute that I was born. I also wanted to thank someone here who too has clutched her pearls over me, who hasn't had children of her own, but over the four years that I have known her, has clutched them in a way that has mattered to me and made a difference to my life. And that is my dear friend, Jerry. Thank you for all that you mean to me. And I love you, Jerry. It's so fantastic to be here with you this weekend. My mum and I have long been looking forward to it. In preparing, it was wonderful to see that the first aim of your women's conferences is studying the teachings and principles of the Bible. And I wanted to start today by reading Psalm 119, verses 124 and 125 from a combination of the message in the NIV. Let your love dictate how you deal with me. Teach me from your textbook on life. Give me discernment that I may understand your statutes. In his book, Discernment, Henri Nguyen wrote, as long as we read the Bible simply to acquire knowledge, our reading does not help in our spiritual life. This weekend, we are blessed with time and opportunity to be able to truly savour and linger in God Almighty textbook on life. May God give us discernment to understand, maybe in a deeper way than we have for a while, his truths and his word that is described to us earlier in Psalm 119 as a lamp for our feet and a light on our path, illuminating our way. And let us remember profoundly and meaningfully that it is our vine dresser's never-ending love for us that dictates and underpins all that he does in our lives. Let us not forget that, despite our circumstances, despite the unwanted obstacles that have and will sometimes unexpectedly appear before us on that self-same path. In John 15 verse 1, Jesus says these words, I am the true vine and my father is the gardener. The title that I've given to my first talk is The Power of God's Tending That Overcomes Apparent Obstacles. And I've been into my Oxford Dictionary that I've used for my poetry writing for over 35 years, so it's pretty dog-eared now, and looked up some pertinent definitions. The dictionary definition for to tend is to take care of or look after. And the definition for the linked word tender is easily moved to pity or sympathy, loving, gentle. I then went into my similarly tattered thesaurus, and these were the amazing synonyms for tend. Care for, cultivate, nurture, maintain, minister to, protect, serve, watch over. They say so much about our gardener God. I'm just going to take a moment at this point to ask you a few questions to answer quietly in your mind. What does the word tending mean to you? Who has tended you in your life? Who have you tended? And what has been the result? 
As I touched on last night, you might be someone who in reality wasn't tended to enough in your early and significant years. Or maybe your tending of children or significant others in your life hasn't gone to plan for all sorts of reasons. I feel prompted by God to say to you directly this morning that you are acknowledged by me, but way, 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 immeasurably more importantly, more significantly, more meaningfully, I want you to know that the vine dresser acknowledges you. He sees you. Be assured that our gardener God will be busy at the task of cultivating, nurturing, serving, ministering to, and watching over you this special weekend. This leads me into the first obstacle that I want to further talk about this morning. That is when we feel that the fruit that we produce seems overlooked by others, by God, and even by ourselves at times. In his introductory comments to Patrick Regan's excellent book, When Faith Gets Shaken, about the obstacles that believers encounter that can seriously undermine their belief, Malcolm Duncan writes, Patrick reminded me that even when I do not see him, God is there. Even when I cannot hear him, God is listening. Even when I do not feel him, God is present. Maybe you are someone here who hasn't heard God for a while and who needs the comfort of knowing that God has never stopped listening to you. God hears you and he sees you. Henri Nouwen wrote, once we're willing to see and be seen by God, we can look for signs of God's presence and guidance in every appearance presented <coughs> to our senses. This weekend, may you feel unmistakably seen by God in a way that alters and empowers you for fruitful good. And may you feel the gentleness and expertise of the vine dresser as he tends to the vineyard of your life for a time such as this. In her brilliant book, Chasing Vines, Beth Moore writes, maybe you feel passed over, invisible, unviable. Maybe you believe God calls other people to contribute and use their gifts for his noble purposes, but your own branch seems bare. Perhaps the last thing that you feel like is the answer to a promise. But then she says this, nothing about you means nothing, because he who defines you and makes use of you is everything. Amen to that. Don't ever let comparison rob you of your peace or your confidence. In Fruitfulness on the Front Line, Mark Green outlines how all of us have got front lines in our life, on our street, on the school gate, in our family, in the office with our friends. All of our front lines are meaningful. Every one of them matters. Let's not be constantly looking at others and thinking, I wish I had more of their skills, was more like them, lived their kind of life. God didn't call me to be fruitful on your front line, and neither did he call you to be fruitful on mine. He has called each of us to be fruitful on the front line that he has entrusted to each of us. Mark Green goes on to write this sobering statement in his book. 
Over the past 30 years, I've seen scores of people living fruitfully on their front lines, quietly doing extraordinary things in ordinary places. Often they don't think much of it, don't think that their stories are worth telling anyone, because theirs aren't the kind of stories that usually get told in our churches, or in our conferences, or in our magazines. Ladies, that's going to change here in Torquay at our conference. Your story matters to me. I don't want a single one of you to feel overlooked, invisible, anonymous, not included in our precious time together. Your story will be heard, and my prayer is that every single one of you hears something of your story, of your front line, of what makes you you from here at the front. The second obstacle that I want to talk about today, I only became properly aware of about two years ago, although I've read John 15 many times over the past 40 years or so. This is what Jesus says about the gardener in verse 2. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does, he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. I'd never seen it before. All the years that I've been reading it, Jesus says that our gardener God prunes every fruitful branch, every one. What does pruning like, look like in reality for us? Isn't it that so often we don't want our familiar, the things that we're used to, the ways of doing things like we've always done them, stripped back, or even tampered with in any way at all, even if it is by our God, who certainly knows what he's doing. In her devotional journal, Untangled, the last one was bought last night, there was only one in the bookshop, and I've recommended it to somebody, um, but it's really worth reading. Uh, Jen Baker writes this thought-provoking question, are we avoiding necessary growth by avoiding immediate pain? I say that pruning is inevitably painful. Often gone are our comfort zones, the familiar that we always fall back on, even if it isn't bringing fruitfulness in our lives, and worryingly, even if our old cages that we have sadly grown long accustomed to. Sometimes I think that pruning can feel like our old, comfortable go-to slippers being suddenly binned without anyone asking our permission first. Things gone that, in truth, we didn't actually want gone, that we hadn't finished with yet, even if they weren't doing us any good. Is that something that's resonating with you? In her book, Living on the Border, Esther Dewell writes this about the word relinquish. It becomes a metaphor for the opening up to the new gifts and new forms of life given by God that becomes possible just when everything seems to have come to an end. Are you prepared to relinquish your branches, your fruitful branches, to him who prunes with love? In Chasing Vines, this is what Beth Moore says about pruning. The vine dresser has a name for dealing with the discrepancy between quantity and quality, pruning. Nothing is more painful to the branch than pruning, and nothing is more irresponsible for the vine dresser than avoiding it. 
The gardener who will not subject his branches to pruning is not merciful. Sometimes our growing comes in shrinking. Is that true for you? Has your growing sometimes looked a lot like shrinking? And has it sometimes been unspeakably painful and come at seemingly great loss? I want to make clear here that by no means is all loss pruning, but pruning can certainly look like loss. If we take this verse in John 15 seriously, and if we want to know the growth that the vine dresser knows all about for us, way better than we know it for ourselves, then we need to be prepared for the pruning of our fruitful branches. And remember, our gardener is never closer to us than when he is pruning our lives. He holds us, supports us, cradles us so gently as he cuts back our branches that will one day magnificently fruit again. The next obstacle that I want to talk about are the stones of the unexpected that block our path at times. Are you someone who is easily thrown off balance by the unexpected? Do you feel held up and prevented from moving forward when obstacles appear in your way? Does discouragement ever get a grip of you? At this point, I think it's helpful to think about the necessary and vital role that stones fulfill in vineyards. In his guide from vines to wines, Jeff Cox writes this, all grapes have an affection for gravel, flint, slate, or stony soils. And the best acres are so infertile and stony that a corn farmer wouldn't take them as a gift. He goes on to say that rocks aren't simply obstacles the vine dresser has to contend with. They're something the grapes require in order to thrive. They're actually catalysts for growth. Someone who is a living example of this for me, and I've seen a couple of his books on the book uh, store over there, is Nick Wojcik, who was born without arms or legs, and at the age of 10, tried to drown himself in the bath in six inches of water before overcoming the circumstances and physical limitations by embracing his faith and understanding the limitless love and power God has for every person. This is what he says in the blurb on the back of his book, Limitless. Nick is an inspiration worldwide for his positive attitude towards overcoming obstacles and achieving dreams. This is what Nick, through his lived reality and overcoming, has, in my mind, earned the right to say. I do believe that God finds a way for us to use bad things for a good purpose. Amen to that. Ladies, in our lives as well as in our vineyards, stones will always be there. How might we use them as catalysts for growth like Nick Wojcik has so powerfully done? It was a Tuesday morning in October and I just finished typing up my section on pruning and was poised to start up typing this one when I popped down to a local coffee shop to meet up with a friend who'd just taken someone for her next round of cancer treatment. 
I was full of all things conference and excitedly went through the subheadings of my talks and gave a rough overview of their content. When I got to this section, she said how much her friend, without faith, when the unexpected obstacle of cancer had hit, just couldn't stop being a chicken rather than an eagle. Her eyes were down and she was just scratching around over and over again in the dirt of her present situation. She couldn't see or think about anything other than her challenging medical issues. Is that so often true of us when our unexpected obstacles are concerned? Unlike Nick Wojcik, we just can't see past them. And I said to my friend, that what she was doing every time she texted a message through or phoned or arranged to take her for her next round of chemotherapy was gently putting her hand under her chin and lifting her head. To begin with, it might quickly drop down to be back scrutinising the dirt and what's right in front of her, but gradually over time, her head may stay up a little bit longer each time and she might start to notice the life-giving things that surround her. When we hit the unexpected, or when our friends and loved ones do, let's try and lift our eyes and theirs straight away. In Psalm 121 verse 1 it reads, I lift my eyes to the hills. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord the maker of heaven and earth. In Psalm 141 verse 8 in the ESV it reads, But my eyes are toward you, O God, my Lord. In you I seek refuge. Leave me not defenceless. In our passage in John 15 verse 7 in the message, Jesus exhorts us to let his words make themselves at home in us. In doing this, I feel that we put into actions the word of the familiar hymn that we sang just now. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. And the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. Maybe you're someone who very much at the moment needs the things of earth to grow strangely dim. Maybe you know all too well what it feels like to come across stones in your vineyard when you least expected them. My advice to you is without hesitation, over and over again if you need to, lift your eyes from your stony ground to where your help comes from and see what flourishes and thrives in you as a result. And remember the words that Moses spoke in Deuteronomy 31 verse 8, which are as true for us today as they were then. The Lord himself goes before you and he will be with you. He will never leave you or forsake you. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. Someone needs to hear that today. Remember that whatever obstacles you might find on it, you never walk the path alone. And what is unexpected to us is never unexpected to God because he has gone on that self-same path before us. I would like to begin the next section with a quote by Jen Baker in Untangled. We all have choices. 
the choice to dwell on what is negative or the choice to embrace what is positive and the type of fruit we bear will be a direct result of that choice. Later she goes on to say, just because we have failed at something, it does not make us a failure. So true. And yet I have seen this next obstacle block people's path time and time again. And I've seen people beat themselves up more over this issue than many others. It's when we mess up. Over and over again I have seen regret wrap itself around and around people's ankles, preventing them from moving forwards. Regret can so easily creep up our vine branches, wrapping it itself around and around. The vine dresser can unwind it, but we need to let him. For those of you who don't know, I'm a poet. And in 2015, I entered an international poetry competition where poets from over 30 countries entered their poems online. Over 350 poems were entered that year. And in each of the three rounds, every poet was sent 12 poems and was asked to select their top four and post a comment on those selected if they wanted to. I can remember the day of the final round of judging as if it was yesterday. It was staff meeting day in the school that I taught at, but on that afternoon, it was a phase meeting. And I remember asking my phase leader if I could leave school at five to five just to miss the rush hour. And he agreed to it. Arriving promptly home, I powered up the computer in our home study, not daring to believe that one of my two entered poems would have made it into the top 12. And I ran around that study screaming when I saw that one of them had. The title of that poem, it was Regrets, Thin Cardigan. Time doesn't allow for me to read the poem, but I wanted you to know that after all 12 poems had been judged, they posted to my competition page the 100 and 19 comments that had been posted about it. 119 comments. The subject of regret resonated with poets from every continent of our globe. Regret was something universally experienced by people, undeniably, unavoidably experienced. What I want to say to you strongly today is believe you me, regret will do you no favours. Don't ever let that be the obstacle that blocks your vineyard's path. Over and over again, I've talked to people full of what ifs and if onlys, people longing to turn the clock back and take a different path. But none of us can ever do that. I say it again, none of us can ever do that. Usually we make the choices and decisions that we do with the best of intentions, with all of the information that we have at the time. Yet you might say to me, but Emma, I chose to ignore the warning signs. I deliberately didn't listen to the alarm bells going off in my head. I chose not to read what was very clearly written on the signpost. Through the decisions I alone have chosen to make and the path I've traveled down, I have seriously messed up. I say to you today that our vine dresser is redemptive. His tending of you might be the answer that he equips you to make, to make the brave decision next time when you come to another different fork in the road. 
Our vine dresser helps us to learn from our mistakes. Jen Baker was so right when she wrote that just because we have failed at something, it does not make us a failure. Let me show you some photos to illustrate this point. Our garden is built on very clay soil and in the heat wave, I saw some of our paving stones lifting and when I pulled them up, these are the gaping cracks that I worryingly saw. You might quite rightly say to me that the ground in my garden cracking and shrinking is out of my control, nothing to do with me and certainly not my responsibility and you'd be right. But here is a photo of something that is very much my responsibility. This is the remains of the yucca plant that has lived at the top of our stairs for the past nine years and which I have forgotten to water over most of that time. Leaf after leaf of it had dropped off and really all that was left was just a dried up, shriveled, rootless stump that I hate looking at, hated looking at every time I went in and out of the bedroom. It was in early October when I was browsing some outside plants at Lidl when three, and two of them are exquisite in my mind, specimens like I'd never seen before caught my eye. I promptly bought them, got them home, and within half an hour of getting in, had pulled out the yucca's dried up remains and planted my new ones up in the two pots. They are my pride and joy. I water them every week, and whenever I go in and out to do study and prayer in the garden, which tends to be most days, these beauties catch my eye. And I smile and I never fail to think about how God can redeem our mistakes. We can learn from them. And I guarantee that these plants will not be neglected by me. <laughs> We've all made mistakes, but ladies, let's learn from them. And let's shake that particular dust from our feet and stride onwards and upwards. Mary Ann Rabmacher was right when she said, courage does not always roar. Sometimes it's the quiet voice at the end of the day saying, I will try again tomorrow. Before I finish this section, I must just refer to a character trait that isn't one of mine, but which I have found is one that has resonated with so many people in my conversations with them, and that is perfectionism which I find mistakenly makes people feel that they haven't quite made the mark, that they aren't good enough, that they somehow mess up an awful lot of the time. I think that, like regret, perfectionism can easily creep up and wind itself around our vine branches. Two weeks today, ago today, I was sat in a mental health-friendly church training day listening to Patrick Regan and others talking about strategies that help develop inclusive welcome in our spaces. And it wasn't lost on me that I saw this written in their pamphlet. Through events, conferences and tours, Kintsugi Hope addresses key topics such as anxiety, resilience and perfectionism. In her book, The Gifts of Imperfection, Brenny Brown writes, shame needs three things to grow out of control in our lives. Secrecy, silence, and judgment. Shame loves perfectionists because it's so easy to keep us quiet. Anne Wilson Schaeff wrote, perfectionism makes everything catastrophic. And in Honesty Over Silence, Patrick Regan writes, God longs for us to be free of the voice that constantly tells us we're not good enough. He longs for us to see ourselves as he sees us. 
And if this mention of perfectionism has particularly resonated with you, my prayer is that you will allow yourself to hear your vine dresser speaking louder than your own unhelpful perfectionist voice, and that you will more and more entrust to him who always tends from a place of love your precious vine branches. The title that I have given my penultimate section today is Scaling Walls to Reach Those Who Are Hard to Reach. And I'm basing it on the amazing verse in Genesis 49 that reads, Joseph is a fruitful vine, a fruitful vine near a spring, whose branches climb over a wall. In my next talk, I will discuss further the benefits of being planted near to a stream. But for now, I want to talk about the obstacles that might have been put in place by other people. In my experience, people have built their walls for a variety of different reasons, many of them very good ones. The thing is that when people seek or are forced by circumstance to heavily protect themselves, they can suddenly find themselves isolated and hard to reach behind their towering walls. Andy Stanley makes, writes this incredibly profound statement in his book, Deep and Wide. If you want me to follow you on a journey, you have to come get me. The journey must begin where I am, not where you are or where you think I should be. I so love that. Sometimes we need to scale people's walls to go get them. Andy Stanley also writes this, when people tell their faith stories, they always talk about the individuals they believe God put in their paths. There might be women here this weekend who are only here because a friend scaled their wall and invited them to come on a journey with them from where they were. We all need friends like that. I've got an incredibly sto incredible story to share with you from two weekends ago when I was just about to start typing up this section. I was talking with a friend who had really struggled with her mental health during COVID and found herself in a long tunnel. She said to me how she'd been calling out to God throughout it, where are you God, where are you? I suddenly felt a gentle nudge from God to ask her what brought her out of that particular tunnel. And without missing a beat, she said that at the height of the lockdown, there was a knock on her door and there was someone from church who handed her an envelope saying that there was so much that they couldn't do in these times, but this was something that him and his wife could do. She shut the door, opened the envelope, and found a piece of string with a pair of crocheted hands on the end of it. It was quite simply a hug in an envelope. She sobbed and sobbed and sobbed. That was what brought my friend out of her tunnel. Imagine that, that was what, that was the vine that scaled her wall when she needed it most. A crocheted hug of love. And it's just so doable. A few weeks ago, my netball friend Julia, who's here this weekend, sent me this photo of her fantastic vine in glorious autumnal colours that has climbed their fence and much to their neighbour's delight, bedecked their garage too. A climbing, reaching vine that brings much joy. The fruits of the spirit detailed in Galatians 5 verse 22 are love, joy, peace, 
patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. These fruits on our climbing vines are what we reach people with to refresh them, build them up, surprise them, nourish them. Let's determinedly, intentionally, with perseverance, continue to scale people's walls, continue to reach them. And finally, I want to finish with one of the most freeing, amazing, profound, no-nonsense concepts that has ever been brought to my attention. I absolutely love it. I talk about it all the time. And that is the power of the power, the impact, the useful, fruitful good of manure. <laughs> In Chasing Vines, Beth Moore writes, from my personal experience and observation, there are plenty of people willing to provide the manure for you. Sometimes it's just a shovelful here and there, and other times you'll feel like a truck just unloaded on you. At first, the manure that gets heaped on you will appear to have no value at all. You won't seem to learn a thing from it, except perhaps that people can be cruel. You'll go through an ordeal or an attack, an assessment or a critique that even years later you will think had no constructive element whatsoever. It just seems meaningless, but it's not. It's manure. Beth goes on to recommend that when we find a load of unasked for, unwarranted, unwelcome manure, unceremoniously dumped on our doorsteps, sometimes sadly by other Christians, what we do with it as we metaphorically wheelbarrow it out to our gardens and dig it into our borders or around the bases of our fruit trees. When we produce fruit in the following year, we can remember that, that, that manure, that very manure, enriched it and helped it to make it what it is. Nothing is ever wasted. All of it matters. That is some of the most helpful advice that I've ever received. And my closing links back to my opening and the title that I gave to this talk, because sometimes what we think are hurdles, barriers in our vineyards, aren't actually obstacles at all. They can matter too. We can choose to use them for fruitful good. This weekend, is it time for you to get out your wheelbarrow and your shovel? Let us pray. Dear Gardener God, thank you for your tending of us. Thank you that when we maybe feel overlooked or anonymous to others, you always see us, that you always hear us, that you always nurture us. May each of us here this weekend feel meaningful to you and acknowledged by you in a fresh way. Like those biblical vines planted by a stream, May our rootedness in you help us to grow out of our comfort zones, away from our regrets and our mistakes, across apparent obstacles and over people's walls to reach them where they need to be reached. May we understand why you prune things in our life and give us the tenacity and resilience to get out the wheelbarrow and shovel and make good and fruitful use of unasked for manure when it's dumped on our doorsteps. Help us make 
everything counts. Amen.